This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. Well, the halls of government in Victoria are still buzzing from a bombshell report into the spending scandal involving the two top officials in the legislature. Former Chief Justice Beverly McLaughlin's report today concludes that legislative clerk Craig James did engage in misconduct and he has now retired. McLaughlin found no misconduct by Sergeant-at-Arms Gary Lenz, but he remains suspended pending other investigations. Global's Richard Zussman has the details of a report that could change the way things are done in Victoria. For nearly six months, the B.C. legislature has been on edge. On Thursday, a monumental shift in the ongoing spending scandal. The special investigator found that Mr. James did engage in misconduct. That investigator, former Chief Justice of the Supreme Court of Canada, Beverly McLaughlin, releasing this report. In it, findings that Clerk Craig James inappropriately expensed suits and luggage for personal use, removed alcohol from the legislature, and established a retirement benefit well before he actually retired, all to the tune of hundreds of thousands of taxpayer dollars. I had said a long time ago that I think monies that were people receive that they shouldn't have received, taxpayers should get that money back. James found to have broken the rules for keeping this wood splitter paid for with public funds at home and used for personal use. The question now is how will taxpayers get repaid? I think it's very complicated legally. I think there's issues with regard to time limits. Facing a potential firing, James retired on Thursday, sending this statement. I've had enough, he says. I have been publicly ridiculed and vilified. My family has been deeply hurt and continues to suffer humiliation. In an effort to put it all to an end, I have decided to retire and reach a settlement with the Legislative Assembly. The Sergeant-at-Arms, Mr. Lenz, did not engage in misconduct. James's colleague Gary Lenz, a much different story, cleared of all wrongdoing. It was also very difficult to comprehend how these allegations could come out to be put in such a way that it harmed you know, for my family and myself and my friends. Lenz doesn't plan to sue for damages to his reputation. We need to move forward. I'm a kind of person who doesn't hold on to the past and doesn't hold on to the issues. But McLaughlin offering some solace by pointing fingers at Plekis. The report reads, he focused an investigatory line of inquiry at the expense of his duty to ensure that the affairs of the Legislative Assembly were properly administered on a current basis. Lenz is still on administrative leave with pay, awaiting a police investigation he plans to fully cooperate with. He hopes he will be cleared and be able to return to work at the legislature. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. All right, we're going to bring in Keith Baldry now. And Keith, uh, anybody reading this report will agree some big changes have to happen at the way the mm -hmm. legislature, uh, because of the way the legislature has been run. 
Exactly, Chris. And some of those changes have been underway so almost since day one. Uh, the Legislative Assembly Management Committee now is meeting more often than just simply once a year. So the House leaders are more engaged. The other thing that's happening over here, Chris, is quite slim. The atmosphere has been highly charged since the, the first day this happened. And the morale amongst the, a lot of people who work at the legislature has been severely damaged. They don't like uh, how this whole thing was handled by the Speaker's office. There's a lot of finger pointing. And what do you know? There's now a union certification drive for the first time in decades at the B.C. legislature involving a couple of hundred employees. Uh, meetings are being held in various rooms around the chamber. The BCGU has been down here with a trailer where people have been dropping in and visiting. And we caught up with the BCGU secretary-treasurer who talks about, yeah, the move for down here for the first time in a long time is a move towards unionization. For a while, there was definitely a chill on unionization, and I think that that's, uh, that's no longer the case. Um, you know, and, and I think that also the, the BCGU is a fairly you know, respected union. It's a very professional union, and um, it's in our constitution, actually, that we can't affiliate to a political, we cannot affiliate to a political party, and I think that's, uh, that's attractive for a lot of workers, especially the legislature. So we don't know how long that union certification drive is going to take, Chris. Uh, I can tell you there remains a lot of unhappy people here. A lot of people, though, were quite happy to see Gary Lenz cleared of misconduct and that the Speaker really didn't have a high percentage of success in the allegations that he made that so, shook up so many people uh, when it were first were made public uh, some months ago. Mm -hmm. Still so much to uncover there, too, with mm -hmm. some of the other investigations. We'll stay on it. Exactly. Thanks very much, Keith. Keith Baldry and Victoria. Now, the whistleblowers who spoke to Global News about alleged money laundering at B.C. casinos and helped inspire the government to act are speaking out again tonight after the announcement of a full public inquiry. As John Waugh reports, they want to participate, saying there are many more stories to tell. They have no fear of us or management. Their business dealings and behavior have become more open and unveiled every day. For decades, Muriel Labine kept this handwritten journal safe knowing hundreds of pages documenting what staff believed were the origins of organized crime on the casino floor could expose what they claim was the truth. He opens the bag and right in front of me begins to pass out bundles of $20 bills to the boys. With the BC government calling a public inquiry into money laundering, this whistleblower expects others will take a different approach. I suspect there'll be a lot of paper shredders running at full speed over the next few weeks. The scope of the inquiry will look into several different areas, but Labine says casino management is a must. What actions did they take to stop this from going ahead? And if there was no actions taken, then I think some heads should roll. Great Canadian, which at the time told Labine it knew about staff concerns, banned unwanted patrons, and notified the authorities now states Great Canadian fully supports the process and shall cooperate with inquiry officials to assist them with their endeavours over the next two years. I believe that the casinos had too much influence over government policy. Heading up the inquiry, B.C. Supreme Court Justice Austin Cullen, who another whistleblower believes is the right person for the job. This man brings a level of experience, credibility, and gravitas to this role of commissioner. Pinnock, the former commander of BC's illegal gaming task force, has accused the former BC Liberal government of turning a blind eye. I do anticipate being the subject of attack as a result of my observations. I'm prepared for it. As these whistleblowers prepare for the call to testify under oath, their message, it's not the time to stay silent, but to name names. John Hua, Global News. 
Vancouver police are releasing pictures and video of two men who are suspected of a cowardly attack on a 77-year-old man. Global's Catherine Urquhart is at VPD headquarters with the story and some very clear pictures, too. Catherine, this happened near the commercial Broadway Skytrain station. That's right, Chris. About three blocks north of that SkyTrain station at Commercial Drive and North Grandview Highway. Police very keen to catch these suspects. Here's a look at the men now. And as you can see, the images are very clear and police are optimistic the individuals will be identified. Here's what happened. On April 28th at about 4 p.m., the 77-year-old man went to a payday loan store and obtained several hundred dollars. The suspects watched on, followed him out, then tailed him to a grocery store. And once outside, they pushed him to the ground and they took his money. This man did nothing wrong. This, this, everybody in this community should be allowed to go about their daily business without fear. And we are appealing to anybody in the community who knows who these suspects are to come forward to help us identify these, these individuals. Here's another look at the suspects. If you know who they are, you are asked to contact the VPD or Crime Stoppers. And Chris, we should mention that the 77-year-old man will be okay. Police say that his injuries were not life-threatening. Back to you. All right, Catherine, thank you. Surrey RCMP are also releasing some suspect video connected to their investigation of a fatal shooting. 18-year-old Austin Graywall, who was known to police, was killed on the evening of April 26th. The suspect vehicle, a red Chrysler 300, was found later that night in Maple Ridge. Police are releasing video surveillance of two men who are believed to be associated with that vehicle. The first, described as non-Caucasian with a skinny build, a dark goatee, and wearing a light-colored hoodie. The second suspect is shorter, of unknown ethnicity, with a skinny build and wearing a black hoodie with a cap underneath. Anyone with information should call Surrey RCMP or Crime Stoppers. More tonight on that RCMP interrogation video we showed you last night that has sparked outrage from B.C. all the way to Ottawa. The big question tonight, why was a 17-year-old Indigenous girl in government care left alone with a police officer who asked her a series of very personal questions? I mean, he's taking your clothes off. How much of a fight did you put up? Many of the questions put to a 17-year-old Indigenous minor by a West Kelowna RCMP officer are shocking. Before this, have you been sexually active in the past? Yes. Okay, a lot, a little bit, not very much. Um, How would you describe it? Shocking, because the teen, who was in the care of the province at the time, was reporting being raped by a 21-year-old acquaintance. During the police interview, two social workers are asked to leave the room to answer other questions. After that, the interrogation takes another turn. Were you at all turned on during this at all, even a little bit? Physically, you weren't at all responsive to his advances, even maybe... um, Subconsciously. The video obtained by Global News is part of a civil lawsuit. Since it first aired, several people have called it abhorrent and disgusting. From my perspective, the whole situation was is, is really sickening. It, it's horrific. It shouldn't happen. And um, it, it actually, 
it makes me speechless in some ways. The RCMP response, the force is not in a position to provide further context or perspective, but in a statement says a course on interviewing witnesses and victims was recently updated, cultural competency training, trauma-informed investigations training, and an advanced course for sexual assault investigators are under development. I don't believe this has anything to do with training. Uh, the, the law enforcement that are, in, are responsible for investigating sexual violence have training. They understand the nature of training. This was a, cho a choice, and we should never see a member of law enforcement engage in this version of voyeuristic questioning. BC's Minister for Children and Family Development says right now police make the call on who is allowed in the room during an interrogation, but discussions are underway to possibly change that. Jill Bennett, Global News. First, though, some dramatic video of a close call for a Port Moody man, and it's a good warning just in time for summer boating season. Jennifer Palmer reports and shows us what went terribly wrong as the man was pulling his boat out of the water. Oh, my goodness. A panicked driver jumps from his boat trying to stop his vehicle from rolling into the water Wednesday night before 6 at the Rocky Point boat launch, the SUV narrowly missing him. Okay. That noise, the propeller scraping on the concrete. The driver tries to lift it. It's not clear why the SUV starts rolling. It ends up being submerged 20 feet in the water. The car was sitting right here with the fire department off to the right. Bruce Gray was there after it was towed out of the water. The SUV caught fire. Remnants of the 2018 Mitsubishi Outlander PHEV, a plug-in hybrid electric SUV, still on the ground. You can see molten stuff falling off the bottom of the car. So what it looked like is electric car, so it was, I guess the batteries were melting down and disintegrating. The cause of the fire is unknown, but officials think the salt water may have reacted with the batteries, especially since the SUV had been in the water for over two hours. Approximately three quarters of the way up the ramp, we heard a big explosion. It sounded like a tire blowing and we investigated and that was not what the cause was. Uh, just after that, we started to notice smoke. Mitsubishi tells Global News they're very concerned about the incident and will be looking into the matter. The Vancouver Electric Vehicle Association says this is unusual. Most vehicles, even gas-powered ones, just don't get submerged like that. Yeah, so this is an exceptional situation. As for the fire department, they say they need extra training when it comes to electric vehicles. For the electric vehicle, hybrid vehicle, it is. It's, the technology changes so quickly, we cannot keep up with it. The 45-year-old driver was taken to hospital, treated and released for minor lower body injuries. Police are trying to figure out if the driver forgot to put the car in park or if something else happened. Charges may be pending. There was no environmental damage. Jennifer Palma, Global News. It's Gas Tax Honesty Day, and the Canadian Taxpayers Federation today released its 21st annual report that shows how much, in taxes, B.C. drivers are paying at the pump. It claims Metro Vancouver motorists will be paying 54 cents in taxes per litre of gas by this summer. The CTF wants the provincial government to cancel the carbon tax and reduce the Metro Vancouver TransLink tax to 10 cents a litre all the while calling on the federal government to axe the federal excise tax. They claim those changes would save Metro Vancouver drivers about 27 cents a litre. And ferry passengers will soon feel the pain at the pump too. BC Ferries announcing today a surcharge of 1.5% will be implemented starting June 1st on most routes because of the soaring cost of fuel. They say it's an additional 25 cents for an adult ticket 85 cents more for a vehicle 
on Metro Vancouver to Vancouver Island routes and 15 cents for an adult, 45 for a vehicle on the inter-island routes. Over the past 15 years, BC Ferries has implemented a fuel rebate or surcharge to manage the volatile price of fuel. Now to an old-fashioned mode of transportation that sparked a debate at Victoria City Council today. The capital is taking a look at phasing out the iconic horse-drawn carriages. Kylie Stanton reports. They make their way through the city streets, charming tourists, taking them back to simpler times. But one of Victoria's most iconic and increasingly controversial attractions may soon, quite literally, be a thing of the past. I'm proposing that the city uh, begin to develop regulations to phase out the horse-drawn carriage industry. It's just not a good fit anymore. This is a priority. Council heard the motion that would see the operation cease by the year 2023 and instead transition to what ISIT is calling e-carriages. I guess I coined it for this report. There's literally dozens of forms of uh, tourist transportation uh, in communities around the world and there's hundreds of prototypes and the only limitation on transitioning toward e-carriages is our own imagination. Come on, come on now. Pressure to make changes has been mounting for years. Oh my god, oh my god. But it was this incident captured on video last May showing two horses bucking on the ground tangled in their harnesses that prompted the BCSPCA to recommend a ban. It later clarified its response, saying we welcome a solutions-based policy approach that reviews existing practices, barriers and opportunities for horse carriage operations. The industry says it has since made an effort to make improvements, adding signage, lighting and outfitting each rig with safety kits. But an outright ban with a shift to e-carriages is being called unfathomable. We have people come from all over the world every day. This is a bucket list thing for them to do. So you take the horse out of the carriage and what have you got? You've got a car. Still, over the years, thousands have signed a petition launched by the Victoria Horse Alliance in support of the ban. To see the motion finally reach council is being considered a win. What may have been okay 100 years ago is not okay anymore, and we can't just keep living uh, with, you know, rose-colored glasses. With that, I'll call the question. All those in favor? Council approved the motion. A follow-up debate is expected in June. If endorsed, staff would begin working with the industry, phasing it out over the course of four years. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it... <clears throat> a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Video from authorities responsible for monitoring a dam near San Antonio, Texas, shows the moment a spillway gate failed on Tuesday, sending water gushing downstream and draining a local lake. Some homeowners now have no way to remove the boats that were once moored at the lake. Engineers are still trying to determine why and how the 90-year-old spill gate failed. China has now formally charged two Canadians who've been detained for 158 days. The detentions of Michael Spaver and Michael Kovrig are widely seen as retaliation for the arrest of Huawei executive Meng Wanzhou at YVR at the request of the U.S. David Aiken reports. The reaction from the Canadian government to China's decision to arrest Michael Kovrig and Michael Spavor on charges of espionage was quick and unequivocal. 
Canada strongly condemns their arrest, a Global Affairs Canada spokesperson said, as we condemn their arbitrary detention. We reiterate our demand that China immediately release Mr. Kovrig and Mr. Spavor. But in Paris, where he was attending a tech conference, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau avoided that kind of strong language. What we are always focused on is doing things that are going to help the Canadians being detained. In Beijing, a Chinese foreign ministry spokesman had a warning for Canada saying, China has always conducted its affairs in accordance with the law. We hope that Canada will not make irresponsible remarks about China's own law enforcement and judicial proceedings. And yet, oddly enough, some experts see China's move to file formal charges as a potential positive for the two Canadians. They have been brought out of the black jail into a more open process that we can engage with. China's arrests of Spavor and Kovrig are widely seen as retaliation for Canada's arrest of Huawei executive Meng Wanzhou. On Wednesday, U.S. President Donald Trump ramped it up further by banning Huawei's telecom gear from being installed anywhere in America. That adds to the pressure on Canada to do the same. On the issue of Huawei, the decision will not be a political one. It will be one that we take based on uh, facts and data. One of the world's best known and prolific architects has passed away. I.M. Pei died overnight after a remarkable career. His portfolio includes a controversial renovation of Paris's Louvre Museum, adding a giant glass pyramid to the iconic structure that dates back to the 12th century. He also captured the spirit of rebellion at the multi-shaped Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland. Other notable projects include the world or the precision geometry and an abstract quality with an appreciation for light at many of his other projects. I.M. Pei was 102 years old. The United Nations Special Rapporteur on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities examined the province's education system. And her conclusion? B.C. gets a failing grade, saying a lot more needs to be done to make our classrooms and schools truly inclusive. As Nadia Stewart reports, parents are now calling on the Premier to take those concerns seriously. A good place to start would be acknowledging the issue. Nicole Kaler is still waiting for a response from the Premier and Minister of Education. It's been a month since that report came out and we haven't seen any response at all. And that report is from the UN Special Rapporteur on Rights of Persons with Disabilities. In April, she came to Canada, thoroughly reviewing federal and provincial policies surrounding disability rights. On the subject of education, most provinces, including BC, received a failing grade. We have kids that are automatically, based on their label or their diagnosis, sent to just different spaces, whether or not it's the best thing for them or it's something that they would like. The rapporteur also found many children with disabilities are still being taught in segregated classrooms. And some children were either partially or temporarily removed from school for up to six months without access to education. Kaler and the BC Ed Access Advocacy Group penned an open letter to government, calling on them to act on the rapporteur's recommendations and make equitable and accessible education a priority. In an email to Global News, Fleming says they're looking at the extent of the problems identified and putting supports in place, saying seclusion and restraints should only be used as a very last resort. 
BC Ed Access has not yet received a direct response to their letter, but they're hopeful inclusion won't just be something regulators talk about, but actually do. If this is in the mandate um, letter that our Premier gives to our Minister of Education, that it will be on his list of things to do, and we will start the process. Nadia Stewart, Global News. In health matters tonight, it's all hands on deck when it comes to the opioid crisis, and that means recruiting from every walk of life to help save lives. Jordan Armstrong has more on the Abbotsford Police Department's Project Angel. She's not a typical civilian police member, but Kaya Ashley has quickly become an important part of Abbotsford PD, bringing to the force years of experience from the street. I was on the streets long term for the longest time when I started at 12, um, all the way through up to 18, 19, 21, 22, 23. We all struggle, we fall down, but you've reached out, you've got support, you're working your butt off. Kaya was brought on board as the first peer support coordinator of Project Angel. Launched late last year, the project hires people with lived experience to engage those who need help. We don't turn anyone away, and to this point in time, we've had about 250 referrals. Uh, what we do is take some of the load off of first responders by being able to engage people, create relationships, and hopefully create uh, pathways to recovery. Armed with orange backpacks. Uh, carrying naloxone. All of our angels carry multiple naloxone. Kaya and nine paid peer support angels spend their days visiting homeless camps and on the phone, helping people navigate the system. And how long has it been going on now? How long have you... You feel for these people, you understand? Absolutely. And then some. I know what it feels like to be alienated from society, isolated, you know, to be angry, really, really angry. She and Abbotsford Police are thrilled with the early success of Project Angel, which thanks to a BC government grant has stable funding until next year. This is one of the best gigs that I've had in my 21 years. It's, it's super rewarding stuff. It's been incredible. It's been inspiring. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. Scientists at UBC are working on a specialized laser microscope to diagnose and treat a number of ailments, including skin cancer, all without ever cutting skin. The prototype works like a charm, and now they're just trying to figure out how to make it more compact. Linda Aylesworth has more. Let's position the patient now into there. You okay? Yeah. All right. Finding ways to do things better. For 25 years, doctors Louie and Sun, both UBC dermatology professors, have worked on a number of projects towards that goal. The latest... If a patient comes to me and I think, hey, you've got a skin cancer, I have to cut a piece of their skin, do a biopsy, send that to the lab, wait for it to be processed, then get the answer. So they developed a way to accomplish the same goal without cutting or waiting by using a laser. It's called a femtosecond laser, ultra-fast, ultra-powerful, and the laser pulse comes out at a quadrillionth of a second. They didn't create the laser, but they did create this device, a multi-photon laser microscope that allows them to use the laser to do a visual diagnosis fast. This was done in what we call video rate, meaning we can see it unfold as we're examining it. But they didn't stop there. One day the idea came to us, if we raise the power of the laser, can we just uh, treat the, you know, the target which we see? They knew the heat from the laser could kill cells. How precisely was the question? So they tested it on tiny blood vessels. In the center of the blood vessel, we're aiming the laser beam. We're generating a localized area of heat 
that will then spread to the wall of the blood vessel, causing it to collapse. And yet the vessels around it remain unscathed, which means when this prototype is adapted for use in the real world, it could offer fast diagnosis and precision treatments without surgery for any number of diseases. Seek it, find it, treat it, done. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Good luck there. And new technology capturing an amazing sight in the waters off Sydney, Australia. But just what is it? Find out after the forecast with Christy Gordon, who joins us now. Nice evening out there. How are we looking? Yeah. Well, it's not too bad. It was muggy today, that's for sure, but mostly dry. Look at these cute little things. Yeah, it's that time of year. They're starting to grow up. I would say these are teenager-ish, wouldn't you? Little young geese. All right. Um, so, yes, today was mainly cloudy. We had muggy conditions earlier, 96% humidity this morning. I felt it. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you did also. Now, we do have a chance of showers as we head through the evening hours. Uh, there's a lot of moisture south of the border that's moving up towards us, that southerly flow. That's what's keeping it so muggy. Uh, but it looks like, for the most part, we're missing it. We've got a few across Vancouver Island and out in the Fraser Valley, but Metro Vancouver still seems to be mostly dry, and that may be the case and I'll show you why. What we're going to focus in on is the next 24 hours because that's rather complicated and then we'll look at your long weekend in a second. Here's a look at all of the moisture that's south of the border. These lightning strikes have really weakened. I was expecting that to be the case so as it makes its way north it's really just bringing rain. No thunderstorms at this point. We are going to see a band develop. Can you see right here? But it looks like it's going to be just east of the lower mainland. So Fraser Valley a good chance of rain. We do still have a chance of that rain overnight for Metro Vancouver, but tomorrow there's a chance that some areas could be dry, but all this has to do is shift a little bit further this way and we'll all be wet for our morning hours. So expect it to be wet for your morning and then you'll be just surprised, nicely surprised in the morning if it is dry. And then that will shift out and we're expecting sunny breaks towards the end of the day. This is your long weekend forecast. So sunshine on Saturday, just a slight 40% chance of showers later in the day on Sunday and in the morning on Monday. But for the most part, things are looking pretty good good for your long weekend. Backing up and looking at your Friday, everyone. So most of the rain will be in the interior across right into the southern areas and for the lower mainland, it'll just be skirting the edge of the Fraser Valley and into Metro Vancouver in the morning. Sunny breaks in the afternoon. Saturday looking nice with that 40% chance of showers over your long weekend. So not too bad for the long weekend. And that's another shot of younger goslings or are these just baby ducks. No, baby I think ducks, these are I think. Those are baby, baby ducks. ducks, aren't they? It was goslings before. Ducks goslings now. before. Very cute. Back now to that incredible footage from down under. A drone capturing a school of Kaunos rays swimming in the crystal clear waters off Sydney's Bondi Beach this morning. According to Drone Shark app, which provides drone footage for surfers and shark alerts for beachgoers, it's unusual to see the rays this far south, adding... They hadn't seen anything like it in the two years its drones have been up in the air, but what spectacular footage. Not going so great for the Whitecaps lately. Yeah, it's been a... Bit been of a, a swoon. Well, it's been a bit of a weird year, and, and the team is just kind of blah so far. I mean, yeah. it, it just, I mean, I'm not knocking what Mark DeSantos is trying to do, but it just seems like there's no energy. No there. buzz. No buzz. Yeah, no buzz. That's a good way to put it. No buzz. And you know what? Max is going to get pretty mad pretty soon if his own guys don't smarten up. I'm talking about that guy. 
Max Crapo, the Whitecaps keeper, he has faced seven penalty shots this year. They had nine all of last year against, uh, including one last night. Now, it would be nice if he saved one of these penalty kicks. However, around the soccer world, penalty kicks are successful about 75% of the time. And again, this is a PK where the Whitecaps were just clumsy on defense. You can't blame this on the ref. Laz Bangara, what are you doing? You can't do that that close to your own net. So, Joseph Martinez, or Martinez, should I should say, steps up and scores. And that was the only goal. And Atlanta beat Vancouver 1-0. They're now in, uh, off to Kansas City for a game on Saturday, Vancouver. Is. Okay, Brooks Kepka and behind him, Tiger Woods. They played together today. First round PGA Championship. First hole. This is a sign of things to come from Brooks Kepka, who, of course, has won three of the last seven majors. He also was second at the Masters. Check this out. He's in the rough at Beth Page Black, and it is rough, but he puts it close. Seven birdies, no bogey. Course record 63. He's the leader at seven under par by one shot over Danny Lee. Now, Tiger Woods, that's an eagle. So that got him to minus one. But look what happened on the very next hole for par. Too much of that today. Tiger ended up plus two. Phil Mickelson, the crowds in New York love him. They love Tiger too, but they love Phil. Had a pretty good day. One under par, also one under. Spieth, Dustin Johnson, Jason Day, Ricky Fowler. Uh, Adam Hadwin was out there. He is two over par. Round two, of course, tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow night, Prince Albert will play its first game at the Memorial Cup as the Western Hockey League representatives. The uh, championship, of course, was won by PA on an overtime goal in Game 7 against the Vancouver Giants. And the Giants made the Raiders earn their title. And it certainly stamped the Vancouver Giants as one of the teams to beat in the Western Hockey League next year. Even though their season ended in heartbreak, the Vancouver Giants are in great position to rewrite the script next season with a much more joyful ending. The Giants will have about three quarters of the roster returning next year, all with invaluable playoff experience that revealed some real character. To push it back into Prince Albert, win that game six in PA and, and take it to overtime in game seven, uh, you know, revealed our character, how gritty we were, how, how mentally tough the group is, how far they've come. So obviously really proud. Giants free it in the slot. Byron scores! Had the Giants won, there's no doubt Bowen Byram would have been named the playoff MVP. He led the playoff scoring race with 26 points as a defenseman, which has increased his stock even more at next month's NHL draft. He could go as high as third overall, and with his skill set, has a great chance to stick in the NHL. If not, he would return to Vancouver for another season of junior. Well, I think we'll be successful either way. I think you could see that our team, it's a team game that we play, but having Bo back there obviously adds a whole other dimension to our team. And either way, I've got faith in the coaching staff and the people involved in this that, you know what, we're going to be where we need to be, and hopefully that's competing for the Western Hockey League Championship again. Well, I mean, I'd be back with all my best buddies, so, I mean, it definitely wouldn't be bad. Um, I love playing in Vancouver. It's a beautiful city. Um, I love my billets, so, I mean, there's a lot of positives coming back. Obviously, if I do happen to come back, there'll be a little bit of a disappointment. But um, no, I'd be excited. I mean, another chance to win a championship in the WHL. The Giants figure to be the front runners to win it all next year, especially if Byram is back. But there are no guarantees in junior hockey.
we're trying to build here is winning habits and a winning attitude, and and I think we came a long ways. Now the the challenge is going to be uh, to reload, uh, to refocus. It's not going to be automatic that that uh, that we're going to get it back. It's in some ways it's going to be even tougher to win because we're not going to catch anybody off guard. They can close it out tonight as the Boston Century continues in sports. A win tonight, and the Bruins are in the Stanley Cup final against Carolina. Brad Marchand, well, he gives you a lot of reasons to not like him, but he is a great hockey player. He's looking shot all the way, but he throws it across, and David Pasternak scores. That made it 1-0 for the Bruins. And then another Bruins power play, and it's Patrice Bergeron. 2-0, and they're after two. So if the Bruins hold, they're going to the Stanley Cup final. Canada, Damon Severson's down, but he'll be okay. Canada and France at the World Hockey Championships. That's Shea Theodore. This is Anthony Mantha. And that's a goal. Ooh, nice shot. It was a nice shot. That made it 1-0. Then Darnell Nurse will get one. The Oilers defenseman to make it 2-0. France, eh, France gave him a little bit of a run, but in the end it was Canada's game. Uh, this is great camera work. Mark Stone from Jonathan Marsh's show. 5-2 the final. Germany's up on Saturday. Uh, Novak Djokovic and Denis Shapovalov today at the Italian Open in Rome. Shapovalov lost the first set, but did get a good forehand winner. Right there on the clay as they get closer and closer to the French Open. But Djokovic in very good form right now. Forehand winner, and he won this easily 6-1, 6-3. So he is off to the QFs, and Shapovalov gets a break. There you go. Thank you, Squire. All right, now to that remarkable lost and found story. A 22-month-old boy wandered away from his home in Kentucky on Sunday night. And against all odds, he was found 67 heart-wrenching hours later, alive and well. Here's Ron Mott. Hey, Bubby. Hey, Bubby. What you doing, pretty boy? A parent's worst nightmare suddenly turned into a dream come true. 22-month-old Kenneth Howard reunited with his family tonight after an adventure he may never remember, but one his parents will never forget. Best thing ever happened to me in my life. Kenneth vanished Sunday night from his Kentucky home, setting off a frantic search more than 300 volunteers. It was by the grace of God that he cried out when he did because um, my guys that found him probably would have walked by him. They followed that voice to a 50-foot cliff at a strip mine more than a quarter mile from the toddler's home. I was bawling like a baby. I'm not going to lie. Firefighter Michael Tussie found him. All you see is a little blonde head with blue eyes that you was expecting not to be alive, and he was alive talking, screaming at you. That's something that hits the heart. Here all night, rescuers say Kenneth told them over and over. Kenneth was dehydrated with some scratches and insect bites, but otherwise okay. He's tough little boy. Relief. The long wait over. Ron Mott, NBC News. That's unreal. Tough to imagine. He'll forget all about it, but yeah, like they say, his parents sure won't. No, that's uh, for sure. Okay, last word on weather before we go. Sure, a bit of a tough go for the next 24 hours. We still do have a chance of showers this evening. More likely, we'll see the rainfall for our region overnight. And again, we have that band of rain that's just east of us. So I think the better chance is that Fraser Valley will be wet in the morning, but it's a bit iffy for uh, the Metro Vancouver region. So fingers crossed. All right. Uh, fingers crossed for you on your golf weekend, too. And uh, details on the Coca-Cola crash coming up tonight.